0: that we are going to talk today about this word. This word is reconciliation. And I want to read the scripture. And we have some things to really work through this morning. I'll try my best not to bore you. Um, But some of the things that uh, we're going to talk about today I I think are very important theological concepts for us to be able to gather, especially put into this worldview that now we're taking in and we're saying this is how, this is what, truth is for me and how I look at life, and here at Midtown, we would be able to look at you and say that we believe in a concept called sola scriptura, which basically means the Bible and the Bible alone is our authority for life. And that's a very important concept when you think about it, because in a world that we all live in, a very a fairly relativistic and subjective world, uh, many of your friends or the people, the world that we live in, would not necessarily say that the Bible would be their rule and authority for all of life. We unashamedly say that, and it's important for us to know that. So that's why even on Sunday we come together and we're, we look at the truths of the Scripture to see what they have to say to us. And we find here uh, a lot of beautiful things that um, I think we are going to be able to gather and learn. Look here in Colossians chapter 1. We talked last week. I know Dave shared with us a little bit about, uh, or uh, was it Randy last week? I think it was. Was it Dave or Randy? I'm sorry. It was Dave last week who I loved his his illustration, his song illustration about the muse. I thought that was awesome. And uh, I told him, I said, bro, you are the evangelical Jack Black. You have got to go for it in front of our people and just be crazy. They will love it, you know. And uh, so I love, but I, I loved, I loved what he had to share last week. But look here, I want to, I want you to look at verse 20. Actually, look at verse 19 of Ch- Colossians chapter one, and just follow along with me, because Paul here is speaking, uh, continuing to speak about the premacy uh, and about the rule of Christ. Paul, obviously, one of his chief and main goals would be what you would call teaching Christology christology would basically be teaching about who christ was what he brought what he did and paul is very concerned about this concept because many of these churches that he goes to they're very they're what should i say they're confused about life they're immature they don't understand the things of the lord and so paul is very foundational with them it would be a good word to to use wants to come back and make the, cause them to understand, hey, let me make sure to let you know who Jesus really is. It's very good for us to hear this kind of stuff, especially for me. But look what it says there in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Christ, in verse 20. And through him, look at this word, to reconcile to himself all things, Rather, things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21. This is a very, very typical Pauline thing to do, and it's beautiful. In verse 21, he says, once you, wants him to understand their past life, once you were alienated from God, and he calls them enemies, and were enemies in your minds, because of your evil behavior. Verse 22, look what it says. But now, there's the contrast, he has, there's the word again, reconciled you. Look, let's stop there. Here's some of your synonyms for reconciliation. Restoration, satisfaction, agreement, settlement, harmony, peace. Okay, that's what we're meaning by reconciliation. Reconciliation. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. We've actually been reconciled back to the Father because of our sin. We've been reconciled. Christ has died on the cross. He had to shed blood, and through that death, now we can be reconciled with God. Okay? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Then here's kind of the the goal of reconciliation here and we'll get to this, present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope, held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The first thing I wanted to share with you this morning, I want to kind of cook through the first two. Uh, believe it or not, I have four for you this morning, somewhat unusual, but I wanted to cover this. The first thing that I wanted to talk with you about this morning is that I wanted to talk with you about the scope of reconciliation, the scope of reconciliation. When, when Paul says here in verse 20 there, look again, and he says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth, earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood. The idea here is um, God is limitless in his scope And he is uh, obviously interested in the reconciliation of his children, his sons and daughters, to himself. But he's also interested in the reconciliation of what it says, all things. It speaks greatly to the understanding that our Lord is King God, King Lord, sovereign ruler over all. Yes, creation, Randy talked a lot about that. The stars and the universe and everything that lives in this world God is sovereign. He is limitless in his scope. It's interesting that Paul would say he's going to reconcile all things, meaning, you could take, that could it actually be true that the things, this world that we live in, that we understand right now is actually not the way that God had intended for it to be. Even the creation, even the way that things happen, even though you think about creation, the animal kingdom, and how beautifully things are balanced, and the intricacies involved, could it actually be true that even because of the fall of Adam and Eve, that even there is somewhat, some chaos, if you will, obviously under under God's sovereign rule, but it's not in the kind of order that God wants it to be. And at the end of time, God's even going to reconcile that even creation, all things on heaven or earth. It speaks beautifully of the power and the majesty and the bigness of our God. Scientists will tell you today that our earth and our sun is decaying. Eventually, our sun's going to run out of light. Well, Jesus will say that's as a result of the fall And when I come back, I'm going to restore all things. We don't talk a lot about what you would term as eschatology here, which is the study of future things for those theologians. But the idea of what the scripture talks about is that God is going to come and actually restore this earth to be the kind of beautiful and perfect place that he wanted it to be from the beginning. He's actually going to reconcile all of that to himself. He's going to make it right. He's going to bring harmony to it. He's going to bring peace. That means I get to golf pebble beach every day. Be beautiful. And that's an important thing for us to understand is the scope. Let's go on to the means of reconciliation. Look there in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And then talks about the means. How did this happen? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There had to be blood shed on the cross. I've talked with you a lot about this. Jesus started the sacrificial system of blood being shed in the Old Testament only to foreshadow the ultimate blood that needed to be shed on the cross blood had to be shed. The means, the only way that reconciliation could be achieved because of the sin of man was by Jesus actually shedding blood on a cross. This is stuff that we know, right? But in the death of Jesus, when we look at the blood, I want you to consider this statement and think about this now. I want you to, this is beautiful. In the death of Jesus, when we think about the blood that was shed, God is saying to us this, I love you, Like that. I was in the kitchen the other night with my wife, and we've been married for 28 years now. Still loving each other. And I told her, I said, uh, Honey, I said, The only way to explain it is that this love that I share for her and I have for her, it goes so much deeper than, like, the wedding night. (laughs) The wedding night, I was thinking about other things. And um, I'm not, you know, meaning to point you out, (laughs) Charlie. But I just, I mean, come on, are we telling the truth here today or what? You know, I mean, it's the truth. But the love that I share for her now is such a beautiful love. It's such a deep love. It's such a good love. Because there's been a lot of pain that we've been involved in in our lives. There's been a lot of suffering. And when I walked into the kitchen the other night and I looked at her there, I saw this woman who had been through the absolute depths and despair of my life and still loved me. And I told her that. I said, thank you for loving me like that. Thank you for loving me in the midst of all that. And when Jesus spread his arms on the cross and when, she, when blood was shed, Jesus was saying to his sons and daughters, I love you like that. And that kind of love almost requires an answering kind of love. Because that kind of love motivate you to love that's the idea right the means of reconciliation christ's blood now let's go on look here at this verse and this is what i i just this is what's so beautiful about paul i just think he's such a good clear clear communicator And I love this contrast that he used. He always Paul does doesn't mind talking about the bad news, and then he gives us the good news. The bad news would be here in verse 21. Look at verse 21. Once you, okay? Once you. Once you were alienated. From God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior alienated here unfriendly hostile estranged withdrawn unresponsive isolated disassociated once you were alienated once you were enemies in your minds very interesting I wish we could talk a lot more about that we won't today but you are enemies in your mind a person who feels hatred is an enemy an adversary it's hostile they have hostile intentions and Paul here is saying once you were alienated you were enemies I told you before I I, I um, well I watch the show that's on television that's called intervention and it is horrific. It's terrible. And um, the, as I'm watching this show, all I can think about is the absolute lost nature of people outside of Christ. They, they literally do not possess an ability to to even be good, to try to be good. They, they don't have a motivation for it. They, they're absolutely stuck at the bottom of their lives in the darkest, deepest debauchery possible. The latest one that I just saw this last week is, is a group of people who are actual sex addicts and a young lady that they were talking to on this show said, she said this statement. She, says, I, she, began, she broke down in front of the therapist and said, I'm a monster. That's all. She said, I'm a monster. And she went on to tell a tale about what her sin was her monstrous sin was her addiction to young men that were virgins. Now why would I tell you that story? I'd tell you that story because this monster outside of Christ, for those of us who have come to know Christ, and we have a good clear understanding of our life before Christ, we know about the monster, don't we? Many of us who are in Christ today are revisited by the monster on many occasions. True? And Paul is trying to say here that once you were alienated and you were enemies of Christ, I want you to understand that condition. I want you to understand how much of a monster you really were. I want you to understand it. Listen to Switchfoot's new uh, uh, album this week. I think it's called Hurricane. They have a they have a they have a, a song on there called I think it's called Me. Or it's about it's it's the lead singer sings about the, de, the deep depravity of his condition, about his biggest enemy is himself. And I think what Paul's trying to say here is, look how lost you really were. Look how unresponsive you really were. Now listen to this. This is quite interesting. Paul speaks to this condition. You don't have to turn there. But I do want you to hear it all. I think it's, a, it's an important piece of Scripture for us. And Paul says this in, in Romans. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. A lot like what's going on here in Colossians when he talks about your enemies in your minds. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, speaking of the children of Israel. And listen to what he says. And exchange, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, For the degrading of their bodies with one another they exchanged the truth of god for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised it's almost like this this monster that i'm talking about this drug being outside of christ the hopeless condition of it Get the tone of what Paul says here after 26. He says this, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Do you hear that? God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another men committed indecent acts with other men and and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Romans 1, by the way. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips. They are slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, They invent ways of doing evil. Uh, For those uh, of my friends who are struggling with homosexuality, you're struggling with this issue. I just want you to know that the way that the Scriptures treat this issue is what exactly you heard the scripture say to you today that that is a perversion of God's design. And God calls that sin. But here's the thing that I want to make sure that we hear. God doesn't specifically say that homosexuality, the sin of homosexuality, or dealing with that issue is any worse than a man that actually has lust for another woman. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Or an illicit relationship between a man and a woman. Our culture has said, well, and the church has been good at saying, well, if you struggle with homosexuality, that's a special sin. That's that's more perverted. No, the idea of the scripture that's saying here is that it's all perverted. It's all against my design. And what I want you to know and what I want you to hear this morning is that if if you're in that camp and you're struggling with that, please continue to, to be in church and hear God's word. We love you. Just like we love all of us who struggle with a lot of issues. And it's a good thing that you want to even listen to the word. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Did you just hear the word? Did you hear it? Because God calls that a perversion. He calls that shameful. Just like when we we commit adultery outside of the marriage bed. The same thing. God has a moral code that he wants his daughters and sons to live by. Some of you have come into my office. You've sat there and you said, "We really struggle with this issue." The first question I ask you is, "Are you in Christ?" This person said, "In Christ. Yes, are you a son or daughter of the living God? Does Christ live inside of your life?" "Yes, he does." Okay. Then we're going to now we got to go back to sola scriptura. What does the Bible say to his sons and daughters? Okay, I, would even have it, I would even do better if some of us just came up and said, I don't want to do what the Bible says. But when people come and say, "That's not the Bible doesn't say that, it kind of hints around about homosexuality or sex and stuff. It, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It's just, that's it. Now, am I saying that to you today to lay the big guilt trip on you and for you to walk out of here and put your head down, you know, and church doesn't like homosexuals. Church doesn't like adulterers. You know, the same old line the church has been... No, no, no. I don't want you to do that at all. But I do want you to hear the truth today. Because we live in a world that says it's really easy to say that's our struggle and that's that's an issue. That's sin. The Bible says it's sin. It's a perversion. It's important for us to know. Because it does fall in tune with what God is trying to say or what Paul is trying to say here. When he talks about, do you understand your condition before Christ? And many of us, even today, we understand the condition because the monster visits us regularly. But what Paul is really trying to get to here is this. When he says, once you, we consider this idea of once you. And we're told, Paul's trying to get these people to, to see if I can communicate this with you. He's trying to get them to do what's called kind of a looking back theology. And this is important for our lives. We look back on our lives and then he draws the contrast because in a minute he's going to say, once you, but now. And so the idea that he's trying to communicate is, I want you to have a clear vision of this monster, once you. And I know that in many times, we don't don't want to live in the past, and many of you have heard me say that to you, but I want you to understand that we don't live in the past, but we do want to understand the past and its lessons especially the monster lessons. We do want to understand how depraved it actually was. We do want to understand that we were just like the children of Israel. Because if we understand it, the idea here is, and follow this because it hinges on this, because it helps us to grasp a hold of now, if we understand it in the past, it will help us to grab a hold of the wonder of God's gracious act of reconciling us. See, God intervened in the midst of that monster, and it's we. I guess it's a beautiful thing to say, especially this week in Thanksgiving, is we would say, wow, I was the monster. And yet, God, you plucked me out. You chose me. You pursued me with your love. My sin doesn't define me any longer. You found me. Thank you, God, thank you because I was that monster, right? Thank you, God, that's, 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 called, like, that's what Paul's trying to get us to do as we look back, we have this, the wonder of this truth and that's what the Thanksgiving table is about this week. For you, I, I hope that you'll come and the first thing that you thank God over is the fact that he rescued you. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have an identity. You have a future. It's beautiful. So that's the concept. Let me ask you something. Have you taken time out of your life to thank God for intervening into your life? You know the problem with the show is they're missing. It's called intervention but they're missing the one ingredient in the show. What is it? It's the intervener. It's the intervener. And the intervener is a man who died on a cross for us 2,000 years ago. He's the intervener. And by the way, he's the intervention. He's all of it. You having struggles today in your marriage? You having struggles today in, in your loneliness? Jesus is your intervention. Jesus is your intervener. Go to the gospel. That's the seriousness of reconciliation. The last thing, and I'll close on this. What's the goal of our reconciliation? Look at verse 22. I'm getting tired. Pray for me. Look what it says. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death and to present you. Look what it says. Here's the the goal of reconciliation. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature. So now what Paul does is he comes and he says, once you, he says, don't live in that, but now, is who you are, what Christ has done. But the goal of this whole idea of reconciliation is so that he would be able to present you holy, without spot, it says, without blemish, holy in his sight, without blemish. This here, is a brand new Pro V1 golf ball. Oh. Used for special occasions by Joel. Indulge me in this illustration, please. Just indulge me. Used for very special occasions, set apart. This here is a muddy Nike golf ball that I found yesterday. I was golfing yesterday, wasn't preparing my sermon. Um. And I thought that it, this is interesting because I, this ball is, this golf ball, I, I want to set that apart. And I'm not, I hardly even use them. Kendall and June got me some golf balls last year for Christmas. They walked into my office and, and gave me a box of Pro V1X golf balls. And as soon as they came in and, and I, I opened it, I just went, oh, like the Shekinah glory coming down, you know? Those, 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 that box of golf balls, that dozen box of Pro ones sat on my shelf. Used only for a special occasion. It's like 350 a golf ball. I know you're all going to come up and, and talk to me about that. But without spot or blemish, set apart without spot or blemish, before Christ, right? After? Without spot or blemish, free from accusation. Do we live that kind of life? Did you know that when the whole goal of this idea of reconciliation and the, this this concept is that you can actually be free from living a life of shame, you can be free from being a victim to your addictions because of the cross you are going to be pre- you are going to be presented to God as holy You are that in your current state without blemish and free from accusation and in your future state. It's it's an unbelievable miracle to think about. But the thing I want to close off with is I'm going to give you a little history lesson here and here's what I want you to hear. The church at Colossae struggled with what was called Gnosticism. We've talked with you about this. And the Gnostics believed that the task of man is to find his way to God. The way to God is barred. But through special knowledge and insight, you can find God. Well, let me tell you what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches that God found us in the person of Jesus Christ. He descended. He intervened into the mess of our lives. And the way to God is by grace through faith alone. That's it. We're receivers The Gnostics focused a lot, of, a lot on the idea of looking inside ourselves. I want you to see if you can ha, yeah, find any correlation today between the Gnostics of, of Colossae and the Gnostics of this age. Think about this. The Gnostics focused a lot on this idea of looking inside ourselves, always asking, what is happening in us? And this focus does nothing other than to take us deeper into ourselves, which you could call privatism. The Gospel's focus is what has happened for us, outside of us, 2,000 years ago. Do you follow what I'm saying? So this whole quest that we're on isn't this personal quest to try to figure out what's really going on and try to get this special knowledge. And there's people on TV that have this special knowledge about a lot of things. The gospel is about an event that took place 2,000 years ago outside of our, actually outside of our bodies. And that event now shakes everything up, changes everything. That's what the gospel is about. It has a a king, and that king is Jesus who died for our sins. Now the goal here, let's get back to the goal. Besides that side note, let me ask you a question of the goal of this reconciliation. Let me ask you a question. What are your goals? That's a big thing that was uh, given to me when I was a young guy. They asked me, what are your goals, Joel? What do you want to be? I was going to be a lawyer. That didn't turn out. God had other plans. Maybe I should have done that. Because I, I like arguing or something. I don't know. But what are your goals, right? What do you have? What, do, you have do you have any goals? Some of you that would be type, you know, high, you know, type A personalities or high achievers, of course you have goals, right? Some of you that are young and entrepreneurial, you have goals too. You have goals to make a lot of money, don't you? Or we have goals to get a man. Not me, but some of you. Goals to get a woman. Goals to get married. Goals to get married to the perfect man. Uh -uh. (laughs) 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 By the the way, (laughs) just to make sure you know, (laughs) I just want you to know something, okay? This whole quest that we're all on for perfect like in all areas of our lives, we're looking for perfect boyfriend, perfect job, perfect church. I just want you to know, does not exist, won't exist. In fact, I tell you what you should do. Go on out and find that perfect church, report back to me in like a million years. When God comes back, maybe that'll that'll be it, right? We so badly want this whole idea of perfection. All all these women in here have to do is tell you after they got married how stinky their husbands really were. In the first week, they found that out. Good grief. What is this deal that we have about this? Well, the goal of reconciliation is holiness. And When you look over redemptive history, God is setting apart a people for himself, a holy people. A people without blemish, a people free from accusation. A people that say, now that I've been loved like that, I can live like this. That kind of love is special. That kind of love means everything. Now I can live like this. This reconciliation allows you and I, and I'll follow because I'm just finishing up, to live in the reality that we have been declared holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation. I want to say this again because I deal with this a lot with you and thank you for letting me minister to each of you in so many beautiful ways. But I want you to understand that this reconciliation that Christ has performed on the cross with shed blood allows you, daughter, to live in the reality that you have been declared holy and that you are not a slave to your shame of your past. Daughter, did you hear it? I've got daughters at home so I can talk to you like a daughter. Did you hear that? You don't have to live as a slave to shame to the shame of your past. You're not a you're not you are not your addictions. Young men, you are not a victim of your past. But the Bible says that this reconciliation, this, ho- this idea of reconciliation and to be holy is God's design for reconciliation. Then he says there in verse 23, continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. I guess the last question that I have for you this morning is why does holiness seem so difficult to us? What do you think? Thoughts? Why is it such a difficult concept for us? Anybody? One person? Like you can answer out loud? Oh, yeah. What's that story about the troll and the monster under the bridge? It's true. It's true, Lucas. And I was thinking a lot about that today and one of the things that I feel it's so difficult for us is because maybe it's difficult because we've turned holiness into a private affair. My holiness and my blamelessness and the way I want to live for God, nobody, nobody knows my stuff. Nobody really knows me. Nobody knows what I struggle with. So it's become an individual quest for me to just kind of fight the army of a thousand men with one jackknife. Do you get it? And I want to encourage you today, if you want to continue in the faith, and I know you do, established and firm and not moved from the hope held out, I want you to think a lot more about communal holiness and the idea of journeying with people in your life that really know your garbage and will bring the red thread story, the story of the gospel to it. Don't live a private life anymore. Don't. It's, gonna, it's 100% of the stories are a bad path. Those are good things for us to think about today. Thank you for hearing me this morning. Young pilgrims, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and what it means to us in our lives. And I know that I'm, I'm deeply convicted by the fact that I don't want you to be my reconciler. I know that I, I want to reconcile things because if, if you did it, Lord, I, I don't have anything to do other than just get on my knees and say thank you. Lord, thank You for sending us Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for reconciling us back to Yourself, for bringing harmony in our relationship by shed blood. I pray in this next week that we'd be so deeply thankful for that event. We'd be so deeply thankful for our King Jesus who did that. That we'd be so deeply thankful for the continued strength and peace that this Lord gives us in our lives. Lord. Please, continue to have mercy on us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that today they may be struggling with something that nobody knows about. I pray, Lord, that the light of your gospel would shine on their hearts this morning, that you would do a, a big work in their lives. I pray that you would continue to pull together this very ragamuffin community and cause us to speak the truth and love to each other. We pray in your name, amen. We'll take five minutes, and we'll have uh, just uh, our response time. It's a time to journal. It's a time to pray. If you want some prayer, you can just nudge somebody next to you and begin to pray. It's also time to prepare your tithes and offerings for the back, the boxes in the back. And then in in five, we'll have our uh, closing song.